with collaboration, you create something so much bigger than the sum of its parts. And whenever you put your heads together with another artist or musician, things just move, they unfold so quickly. And you get swept up in this river of perspective and sound and excitement. Welcome to Let It Out with me. I'm Katie Delbout. This week I spoke with musician Buck Meek on Zoom. He was on the East Coast on tour with Big Thief, and you might know Buck from his band Big Thief or his solo project. I really loved his album that came out earlier this year called Two Saviors. We talked about that quite a bit and also covered collaboration, surfing, following your impulses creatively and in general, being back touring, friendship, and so much more. I loved this conversation and I'm really excited for you to hear it. So I'll leave it there. Thanks for being here. So you're on tour, you're on the road with Big Thief now. How is it going? And You said you're in North Carolina? We are. We're in North Carolina in a rainstorm. And it's so cozy, to uh, borrow your word. We're on the bus, and we have a day off because our show was canceled due to a thunderstorm. We had an outdoor show, and so we're all just posted up on this bus. And uh, there's a giant mall nearby, so we were thinking of all going to the mall, which is something I never got to do as a kid, really, like run around a mall with my friends. I'm very excited about that. Oh, I love that. That's such a good rainy day activity. That's what I love so much about about Big Thief is that it, it really feels like you all are really close and really genuinely like each other and are all really different. And I think it makes a magic that I really love to see. I, I saw you at, at one of your shows before you left California and it was so cool to to see you perform again. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're really close. How is it going? How does it feel to be back on tour after such a long break? It's a a wild spectrum of things it, on one hand it feels so good to be back with the songs and yeah it just feels like people really need it right now like we just played in new orleans and at the civic theater which is the oldest oldest theater in new orleans and it hadn't the show hadn't sold very well before the hurricane and i think just because people are still on the fence about going to shows or not with good reason of course and and then the hurricane ida hit and everyone was evacuated and then they came back I think like two days before the show and it's, and it sold out like in those two days, I think as soon as everybody got back, they just, maybe they like needed some levity or something. And, and it just felt incredible. Like people really needed that connection. It's been like this mutual gratitude between us and the, and the, and the people. It's the fact that it's happening at all, which is a yeah. great foundation. I felt that as an audience member, I saw you guys and I saw one other show in Joshua tree and they played for so long. And I think exactly what you're describing i felt as an audience member we're all yeah. a little rusty and happy to be back not that you not that the yeah. performers were not rusty at all but i was rusty as an audience member and it felt so good <laughs> oh yeah and there's definitely some rust I mean, that's, and that's the thing that it's vulnerable because we haven't toured in a year and a half and 
there's some rust, but at the same time, that's something that we thrive on. I think we change our set list every night and there's always so many new songs and everything. It actually helps to have some kind of, I, I think it helps to, to have curveballs for us because it gives us more to react to and connect through. Which is the best part for the audience too, is, you know, that's why we're seeing something live. That's why live theater and performance is so beautiful. It is those moments and for the record, I saw no rest, only shine and sparkle. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. But thank you. But yeah, it's it's really I think it's a really special time because there just seems to be this like universal foundation of gratitude to just mm-hmm. be there at all, which is so cool because not that that's not always there on some level. I, I usually feel pretty pretty grateful to play a show, but like you you do like take it for granted at some point. Yeah, it's, I think it's really it's kind of a cool spot. What did you miss most about touring when you were in quarantine? And on the other side of that, now that you're back touring, is there anything that you miss about quarantine? Yeah, I guess the thing I, I missed the most about touring at first was just there's like a simplicity to touring when you're when you're on the road. You have these very clear boundaries as far or like very clear limitations, I guess, you know, like you, you know where you need to be pretty much every moment of the day or you like know when you when you are free. And, and your, your freedom is like kind of compartmentalized, which is for me at least like liberating sometimes to, to know I have two hours of freedom and to be able to inhabit that fully. And then like, you know, to know where I need to be and like to be very excited about like all of my commitments at the same time. I know I need to be on stage or playing music with my friends or whatever. And so there's this kind of really nice balance of, of work and like fulfilling work. And then freedom in like this very ambiguous space where suddenly you have like some time to yourself in a new place and you're kind of free of associations and of like your normal commitments and you can just walk. That's one thing I love about tours, that simplicity. I always end up doing some form of like deep work with myself in a way on tour in those moments in between because like I have less distractions somehow than when I'm home with my own like errands and everything. Even if it's as simple as just like laying in my bunk and just staring at the ceiling, but there's some form of reflection that happens on tour that it's hard to describe that I really appreciate. But then at the same time, I guess what I miss about the quarantine is that for the first time in so long, I had the space to to like really work on projects and to practice the guitar because on tour it's always moving so fast. Or throughout the, our year, like touring and recording, we're always moving so quickly and making so much music that it's hard to really sit with the guitar and just play for myself. And so I spent a lot of time learning new things on the guitar, which was really fun. And also just learning how to cook different types of food and and spending some time with myself, which I miss, of course. Yeah. I relate to that, not having toured, but just when I'm traveling or in a group, you know, you kind of get in this rhythm with each other. And as you were talking, I, I really understood that. And the closest I think I've had to it is when I was studying abroad in college. Like I, I remember it being so wonderful. And I, like you were saying, having, I think, creative constraints and limitations can be so helpful to my mental health and to creativity. And when, like you were saying, when I'm home, I tend to be a time optimist and try to fit in so much because there's so much space and it's things that you have to be more discerning in those 
small pockets of time and be a bit more time pessimistic, right? Of like, I have two hours, what can I do? And that is actually so calming to my temperament and maybe everyone's. And me too. Yeah. (laughs) And I think we just, it's gotten more and more with more choice. And that was, I think the one of the big things that was such a freedom of just taking away some choice. Yeah, exactly. And also like adding so much time. Quarantine, yeah. Quarantine was like its own, which which is its own world, different from like normally being at home for me, of course, because I haven't had like such a surplus of time. I could do everything that I felt like I needed to do. Yeah. I I heard you say you started surfing and like you said, practicing the guitar. And were you also teaching guitar? I did end up teaching guitar with my friends uh, through my friend's website, The School of Song. My friend Stephen Van Betten and Blue Treffer, they built this beautiful website called The School of Song. And we developed a couple of, or a guitar course and a songwriting course together. And I taught towards the end of the quarantine, which was super fulfilling too. I never thought I would teach online, but it ended up being one of the most fulfilling things I've done. Wow. That's really cool. Super cool. And yeah, I'm so proud of them too. They, they kind of had this idea at the beginning of the quarantine, just out of circumstance, of course. And then it ended up blossoming into this really special website. And now they have this awesome faculty of teachers, I think. Our, our friend with Temple's about to teach a course and Molly Sarley's taught one, and Lomelda and so, so many cool, like working songwriters are lined up to teach. That's super cool. I love that. What about surfing? How did you get into it? You've, you live in Topanga, I think, right? And how you're from Texas. How long have you been here? And when did you start surfing? Yeah, I grew up in Texas in the hill country, like just landlocked from the ocean. But I actually first surfed when I was, in school in Boston, my roommate was from Maine and he like took me up to Maine on the Amtrak and woke me up at like three in the morning to go surfing in this like cold rainstorm. Whoa, cool. Like right at, at, at the end of spring. And it was, I just, I had like such a incredible, I just remember being blown away by it. It was, I got completely pummeled and it was like super freezing and choppy. And, but I, I just felt like, I remember feeling so alive and kind of put this seed in me to always that I I just always wanted to surf since then. And so I actually moved to California like almost four years ago now to mostly to surf. I was living in New York for eight years and then moved to Topanga to be closer to the ocean and started surfing as much as I could. But with, with touring, with with as much touring as we were doing, I wasn't really able to surf consistently until the pandemic, which was so cool. And actually like when they, when the first, when the pandemic first that they closed all the beaches officially, but, I discovered the Topanga beach at like six o'clock when the lifeguard would leave, who was guarding the beach, you know, for the quarantine. Yeah. The lifeguard would leave and like three of the local kids would like jump out of the bushes and jump in the break for the last hour or two of sunlight. And so I ended up surfing a bunch with the point all to myself, which was really cool. Wow. It really teaches you how to pay attention because so much of it is observing the ocean change and trying to tap into just being really present with with the wave like because every every single wave is completely unique and every square centimeter of the wave is is unique and there's so many factors that are affecting it from like great distances and also on like a more microscopic level and like all the alchemy of that is is constantly shifting so i I find a lot of there's i think there's a lot of parallels even on like a physical level to to the waveforms of music for instance and 
even with like the sets coming in across the ocean, they often will kind of come in like threes, almost like a triad or mm. uh, I almost, and, and you know, sometimes like the, the first wave of a set will be the smallest and then it will grow to the third and almost like a triad kind of building or a, with a seventh, almost like a seventh quarter. So that's getting pretty far out, but on, on a more like basic level, I think just paying attention has taught me a lot about improvising at least and like being super present. My friend Heidi is a designer. She has this brand, Ozma, California, and she lived in a yurt in Topanga and really started surfing. And and that's when she nice. started designing. And like you, like it's always so fascinating to hear the correlation between someone's art and surfing. And like that was so beautiful what what you just came up with, and so different from what she said, but equally oh, yeah. <laughs> useful. And yeah. So, yeah, there's so many lessons. And of course, they could be like perceived as cliche or whatever, but it's so deep. And even just as simply as before we stepped on stage a couple nights ago in New Orleans, our drummer James reminded us to just like continue to say yes, to like just always say yes. Because when you're on stage or when you're in the studio, when you're making something, I guess when you're creating anything really, for me, it's like you always have this choice to say yes or no. You know, like if you really mm-hmm. boil it down to the basic ingredients, it's just like saying yes. Or saying no, if I'm on stage and I play a wrong note, like it's so easy to say like, oh no, and then play another wrong note. And whereas if I play a wrong note and then tell myself, yes, like I played a wrong, yes, it's such a healthier way to, to move through a show and to like, just try to stay above water. And, and it's the same thing with surfing. Like if the wave is breaking, if you don't move with the momentum of, of the breaking wave, it will inevitably just crush you or go underneath you. And you really have to commit to it and move through it. And it's so basic, but I, f- I find that to be, to be really helpful in the creative process too. Like trying to commit to the momentum. Yes. I'll say what James said to you. Like that's such, yes. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. It's so, it's so true. Like I, I tend to spiral when like one thing goes wrong or it's not how I wanted it to be. And the sooner I can accept it and pivot it instantly just aligns with, it takes you back to the present. You know, my friend Lacey says this thing, what you don't own owns you. And so I think it's like just accepting it and that can move, that's progress. Whereas I think when you contract, it takes you back, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And in in the process of that too, just like learning how to trust your body and trust your instincts to carry you through those moments too. Because you know, really when it comes down to it, you have to just commit your energy to it and just kind of trust that everything else will follow that like your feet know what to do and that your hands know what to do. Your voice knows what to do. Do you do anything before you guys go on stage? Do you have like a, a huddle or do you tell each other anything or have any rituals that, that you can share? And we all have our own little rituals, but something that we always do together is just like a simple, yeah, we just hold, each other in a circle standing and lately we've been breathing max oleartric our bass player has been doing a lot of breath work and so he'll just kind of lead us in like a simple breath work just like four or five breaths and then the final breath we hold as long as we can and just kind of goof around and like encourage each other to like play like our hairs on fire or whatever Mm. um and yeah just to connect when you are on tour with big thief are you i've been loving the new music that big thief has been releasing and what i got to hear at your shows but 
and I, I think you worked with them on that during quarantine, but do you guys write and work on new things while you're on tour or are you all kind of working on your separate projects maybe, or just really focused on what's in front of you? Well, we're blessed now to travel on a bus and which, you know, we, we travel overnight we wake up in the city, which gives us a lot more time in the day. So we've been having these like three hour long sound checks and able to essentially rehearse with like our full stage setup every day, which has been awesome. So yeah, we have been like practicing more or less for three hours every day at soundtrack and working on new songs or at least like working on arrangements of songs that we've recorded that we have never really played live and stuff, trying to work on something every day at least, which is really helpful. I think to balance out like the, the show because playing a show every night on one hand is really like, like you exercise the muscles and it becomes so strong of like playing the songs every night and you get really tight with all your parts and, but at the same time, it can become kind of abstract after playing like 10 shows in a row. It almost becomes like saying the same word over and over and over again to the point where it doesn't make sense anymore, you know? Like, mm-hmm. um, and so it helps me, at least, I think it helps us to break that, that kind of trance if we make new music in addition to that every day. Yeah. It gives yeah. us a chance to like try new things at the show too. Cause we have a, we can like work on a new song and then just throw it in the set list at the, at the show time. Yeah. Which is probably so exciting. Did you work on the album that you're slowly releasing with Big Thief now during quarantine? And what was the process for that? Like, we were recording during quarantine, but kind of scattered across the across the year. We we did some recording. I'm loving what you're putting out and what I got to hear, and it's cool that you were making that. I think we put out a couple of songs from. We we recorded in a few different locations over the course of the year. Like for instance, the song Sparrow that we we put out. Yeah. We recorded at our friend Sam Owen's house up in the Catskill Mountains. He's one of our oldest friends from New York City. And so, yeah, right, kind of right at the beginning of the quarantine, we just went up there and shacked up with him and Hannah Cohen, his partner, and, and recorded in their little home studio. And they had this beautiful deep creek, and we would like swim in the creek in between takes, and power went out for a few days. It was just like this super cozy, rainy fall, like mountain studio. And then the song little things that we put out we recorded in Topanga Canyon at my friend Jonathan Wilson's studio five star with our friend Shauna Everett and then certainty oh yeah certainty we also recorded at Sam's place so yeah we kind of like spent a year moving around the country and recording in different places. I heard you talk about how Big Thief helps your your solo project and how they feed each other. I think you were saying that you can be a bit of a perfectionist in your own work and allowing yourself to fully commit to playing the guitar and Big Thief allows you to focus on on other parts in your solo project. Can you talk about that a little bit? I guess the thing that helps me with the most is just being a part of Big Thief has been this really long journey of developing trust with a group and like essentially traveling like astronauts for so long. Like we've just been traveling for like eight years now and traveling in such close quarters with anyone I think would inevitably like bring up so much vulnerability and like just stir up natural resentments and like triggers and everything that would come up in close proximity like with a partner like with you know in in a close friendship because it's super challenging to travel 
with a group of people in like a tiny space. And so um, with Big Thief, I, I think we've just been lucky that like somehow over the course of the years, our characters have like navigated that with grace. Like somehow we've gotten to the point over the years that we just really trust each other. And we've, we've like learned that communication is so important. Communicating even like the smallest little thing that comes up immediately and just talking through it even if like we have to push the show back or spend a whole day during a recording session like crying and sitting by the fire and like talking something through even if it's like seemingly irrelevant like irrelevant you know just making like absolute certain to not let anything link any like resentments linger which is essentially like a lifelong journey because when you're again like when you're traveling so close together and you're creating something um it's super vulnerable and a lot of stuff comes up. So Big Thief has like really taught me in real time that if you can build that trust, you remove so much weight and you can get to the point where you can really make something together on a sustainable level. I just feel like the music benefits so much from all that work. And I've seen like the, the proof of that. I've seen now that like when we go into the studio, having done so much of that work, we're able to just like connect on with, with so much lightness. And there's this safe space where we can like relinquish our egos and feel very comfortable with each other like being just completely open and of course it's a process and like i'm sure there will always be a challenge but at least like we have this foundation of trust to move through it and so i think that's the thing i've learned that's the biggest thing i've learned from my experience with big thief that i i try to bring that i want to bring to my solo project in like navigating the interpersonal dynamics and just like trying to facilitate that kind of space for my own band yeah. And I think you were saying too that, you know, this, I, like I said, I love this album so much. And you were saying that since you get to play the guitar all the time in, in Big Thief, that you were able to, to focus on different elements in when you were recording this album. Can you talk about the process? I, I know you recorded it in New Orleans and I think you did two takes each day. And I loved hearing about that. Can you talk about that? And when did you start writing it? Yeah. So I had asked my friend, and once I had all these songs for two saviors, I'd asked my friend, Andrew Sarlo to produce and record. And I think one reason being that Andrew Sarlo produced all of the Big Thief records. He, yeah, he's produced the, the four Big Thief records, um, Masterpiece Capacity, Two Hands and UFOF. And, and like in regards to what I was saying a moment ago, I think, Andrew Solo has been a big part of that process of like developing trust and in the group in to a certain degree, like in, in support of like relinquishing our egos in the studio, you know, like Solo's job has been to like help us transcend our fears in the studio and transcend our own personal, like ego, basically the, the things that like our, our perfectionisms and our discouragements and like the things that hold us back from just being free in the studio. And also the things the blockages that can come up between each other like he's been a big part of like or i, I think like helping us remove those those blocks and he has a brilliant mind for just like putting people in their in their like higher vibration and just keeping people in a in a in really positive space oh, in the studio which is such a scary place to be if if you know and so one of the reasons i wanted him to record my project was to try to kind of bring that perspective to my own solo project and his like first idea was to to go to New Orleans. He's like, well, first off, I'm all, I'm only going to record this album if we can do it in New Orleans. I want to do it in a house, 
like an old Victorian house somewhere near the river. And I want to just do it as quickly as possible and remove like any potential for, for like minutia and perfectionism um, and obsession. Like I just want it to be so relaxed and feel as if we're not even recording, we're just making music together for fun almost. And one thing that both me and Sarlo and everyone at Big Thief has learned over the years is that often like the first or second take of a recording is, has like this vitality that you lose after starting to repeat the song too many times in the studio. And just like the first time you play it, whenever you're just flying by the seat of your pants and like not thinking about it too much, or maybe even like searching for the, for the right notes and, you know, really like hunting is this moment of vitality that you can lose when you start obsessing over like the minutia. And so Sarlo wanted to kind of condense that and try to, he, he wanted to use my our session as a way to try to yeah just expedite that process and kind of facilitate the feeling of a first take throughout a whole week and so his idea was to just basically wake up in the morning play all the songs once only only have like one chance to play each song almost like a set and then take a seven hour break and like completely reset and then in the evening play the songs once through again and then repeat that like seven days in a row so essentially just playing the songs like 14 times each, but with these big gaps in between, almost like we're playing like 14 shows or something, essentially just to harness that feeling of like a first take. And then at the end of the week, go through and pick our favorites. But it, it forced us to just like really play the songs because we knew we didn't have like a second chance to like overdub stuff or to mix and match takes and like comp stuff. So yeah, we just played music. Nothing fancy. It's more just I like an old school. I think that's so cool. I think that's so cool. And I love what you said about being in the house and he wanted you to be really relaxed. I, I've been thinking about that so much in the last several months because a long time, or not that long, like this year, but a while ago, my, I was talking to my friend about someone that I had like put on a pedestal and someone I like had a crush on or something. And I was just mm-hmm. kept saying like, they're so cool. They're so cool and effortless like those are the words i kept using and yeah and she was like all you're looking at when she was like you always do this with people and you know how like in that great way where a friend can like notice a pattern in you that you are just blind to and and she said all that means when you look at someone who is cool or effortless to you it just means that they have a managed nervous system like they're relaxed that's what you're picking up on and that's the sense I get from from you and from this album, it, and you can tell that that it worked <laughs> in the house. It, it you can feel that it that in the sound, and that's why it became this companion to me. I, I was back in Michigan, and I was like, knew we were doing this interview, and I was driving around my dad's wife's car, <laughs> listening to your album, and it it felt like what you're describing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, well done. Thanks well so managed. Nervous it's always system. a process. Thank you. I mean, it's always a process. I'm not always so relaxed, but like I, I strive to be for sure. That's often my priority, I guess, to put myself in a place of, yeah, just calm because I think yeah. everything functions better from that place for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's whenever I, it, it's always like pausing is always the most effective solution when you're overwhelmed and stressed, right? But it's like so counterintuitive. You think, it doesn't feel like it is, but it always is. You seem yeah. very 
calm, do you, how do you, when you do get stressed or overwhelmed, what, what helps you? I mean, of course, breath helps for sure. Breath is a big one. Definitely surfing helps me. I think that like, I'm pretty sensitive. And for me, I kind of need to like, ideally have like a a balanced light. Like I, I feel like I need to facilitate balance in my life overall to like really maintain calm because I also have the tendency to like overwork myself to the bone. It's my tendency to just like work way too much and fill every last moment with, with productivity essentially. And so I have to like really consciously make space for balance in my day and like in my weeks. And with that, I feel pretty calm, but I kind of have to have like the foresight to, to make sure I, I have time and make, make space for like healthy rituals for cooking and self care and like for surfing, for instance things like that because if i don't i'll just like overwork myself with the phone without realizing it and then definitely get stressed out mm, so. yeah i do that too like i was saying like i tend to be a time optimist and try to fit in too many things and that's when i get that's what i've had to learn as i've gotten older of just giving myself space helps <laughs> yeah but like you sure. said foresight to do that yeah but if i do end up feeling stressed out i i think the thing that cures it the quickest is just like picking up a gu- acoustic guitar and writing a melody trying to like materialize the feeling i love that so in your album there's so many ref- there's so many themes and maybe hidden messages and i love that there's so many references to twos we're recording this on the fall equinox and it's September 22nd. And I have this very strange, I don't know if you have anything like this, but like my friend sees pennies all the time or someone else sees feathers. I see two, 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 like I'll always be in seat 22 on the plane. And it's like, Oh, my room is 22. Like, it's like funny at at this point. And I, so I don't know if that's why, but I noticed in your, in your album, there are so many pairs, eyes, twos, turtle doves and I loved that duos and I I loved that so much and I was like it would be a really fun exercise to count how many references or like how many twos that you say yeah maybe there's 22 oh maybe I feel like there are more maybe um it'd be a really wild drinking game (laughs) um two moons it it was just it was so yeah I, I loved that so much so I'm curious when you're writing the album, I would love to know a bit more about the process. Like, did you write the songs and then see the through lines or do you have a theme in mind when you go into to writing? No, it was definitely more of an organic process. I didn't have any kind of like overarching theme with the album. I was just writing the songs one at a time and letting, I guess for me, this album was like a process of giving myself permission to just let whatever came be to a certain degree and as a songwriter i definitely have like a self-consciousness with like repeating themes i guess like for some reason so at some point i got programmed to, to think that like using the same lyric twice is a bad thing and so i'm like consciously trying to push back against that with evidence too because i feel like so many often so many of my favorite songwriters themes reappear in their songwriting like with towns van zandt and with porches and like with so many of my favorite writers like hurley like you'll hear them use these themes because that's, they're just speaking their life. And of course there's like patterns in our lives. And so I'm like trying to embrace that, even though there's some friction, but so yes, with this album, I was like consciously just like making space for that and 
at least for, for like a part of this writing process, I was going through like a breakup and just like thinking a lot about dualities and unions and, and separations, obviously. And like, it wasn't any kind of like super lucid theme that I was unraveling. It was more just processing the idea of unification with another and loss of that and various circles of dualities, I guess. Mm. I heard or read you say that Two Saviors started as a journal entry. Was that the first song that you wrote? And is is journaling and, and writing daily something that you do or part of your songwriting process? You know, I don't remember what the first song I wrote was. Often things will just kind of come together in a more like secular way. Like I think a lot of the songs probably started as just like a thought that I had at some point and just like wrote down in a random moleskin and like, and then found it later, like at the bottom of my backpack. And I try to just write down whatever random thoughts feel resonant throughout the day, but I don't really have like a practice of sitting and writing a full journal entry. I, I wish I did for sure. I should make more time for that. My journaling is like much more schizophrenic. Or it's just like completely off the rails. I just, I have like eight different journals and they're all just filled with like random moments from the last like 10 years. <laughs> and so then like going back and searching through them is also a really hilarious process because it's like impossible to find anything that I'm looking for. And then I end up finding something else that I haven't seen in a long time and pull from that. I guess it works, but I think probably the seeds of this album to a certain degree were from that process, just like pulling from random thoughts over the last couple of years. Do you write in your phone or mostly on a piece of paper? Mostly on paper. But often when I start writing a song, I'll just turn my voice recorder on on my phone and just kind of sing and speak into the recorder. And often the song will start with just like a seed of one word or a, or one one line like that. Savior's fighting over a soul or something. And then I'll I'll just sit with my guitar and kind of unravel that and take it in as many different directions as I can at first just with like sound almost like with mouth sounds just kind of letting the sounds like unfurl into other sounds and like following them into words on a more abstract level and then just like allowing them to form into words without needing to make too much sense of it and then slowly making sense of it and recording helps because often like I can go back and almost translate my own mumble and decipher it and like develop it by just listening to the recording of me. Have you ever had a breakout come at the worst possible time? I absolutely have. Uh, Pretty much every time I have a breakout seems like it's pretty inopportune. And the times when I'm just like alone, not seeing anyone, perfectly clear skin, not to brag, but every time I have like a date or a wedding or really anytime I'm seeing anyone in public, it seems that I get a, you know, really painful, ill-placed blemish (laughs) just right on time, like clockwork. And I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in this. That's why I'm so excited to partner with Apostrophe, the sponsor of this episode. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed 
oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear acne. Apostrophe connects you with a board-certified dermatologist who will create a personalized treatment plan that is perfectly tailored to your unique skin. You are special. Simply fill out Apostrophe's online quiz about your skin goals and medical history, then a few snaps of selfies, front, back, side to side. The dermatologist will then create a customized treatment plan just for you. Apostrophe treats acne, yes, but they also hit other skincare goals like reducing redness, wrinkles, even dark spots. Again, not to brag, I'm dealing with all of those issues at one time. Apostrophe is here for us. To be honest, I was using Apostrophe for a while and then stopped because I ran out and I just got some new stuff and it's helping so much. I use their sunscreen. I'm holding it in my hand. It's for acne prone, sensitive skin. It's fragrance free. It's really hydrating SPF 43 and I'm in the sun so much more now that I and I'm getting older and I'm finding that to be a really useful tool <laughs> and I'm also using their tretinoin formula at night that is a retin-a that seems to be helping knock on wood I don't have any breakouts right now it was so great the packaging was beautiful the entire experience their website's really easy to navigate easy to use I loved it you don't have to go to the pharmacy or wait it comes right to your door and it's super simple we have a special deal for you our audience Save $15 off of your first visit with an apostrophe provider at apostrophe.com slash let it out. When you use our code, let it out, this code is only available to you, our listeners. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash let it out and click begin visit and then use our code, let it out at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. That's apostrophe.com and use that code, let it out to get your dermatologist crafted treatment plan for $5. Thank you so much, Apostrophe, for sponsoring the podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by Ana Luisa, and I'm so excited about this sponsor. I found out about this sustainable, fairly priced jewelry that's starting at just $39 from my friend Christine, who you might know if you've listened to the podcast or you know me. New jewelry collections are released every single Friday. I'm not someone who is super into jewelry, but I think I'm going to start because they sent me a couple pieces and I gave a couple pieces to my friends and it's been really fun to play around with and I think you might like it too. So it's Ana, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A, Ana Luisa, and they have done us a favor where you can get 10% off all of their products. So go treat yourself and your friends and your family and use my code, let it out to get 10% off all products. I absolutely recommend them. They are a great brand making beautiful, sustainable jewelry. So check them out. Go to shop.analuisa.com slash let it out and use the code let it out at checkout. That's shop.analuisa.com slash let it out and use the code let it out for 10% off. I really, really love this brand and I think you will too. Check them out. Sustainable, barely priced jewelry starting at $39. Ana Luisa, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. Use the code let it out for 10% off all of their beautiful, fun jewelry. I'm curious how your songwriting has evolved since 
you started when you were younger. And I think you've said that you were trying to embody a character or communicate something to someone and working something out. And now your songs feel, and they, they definitely do, but I think I heard you say this, that you they feel more honest and like you're being yourself, not not a character. Can you talk about that transition? Yeah, for sure. I guess, yeah, at first I was just, maybe I was afraid to, to write like a true song. I don't know. But at first I was definitely writing songs from, or at, at the beginning I was from like high school and I was more writing songs from like a place of study or like trying to explore characters and songwriting as a craft almost through song forms, like predetermined song forms and trying to bend rules and like alchemize my favorite writers and that kind of thing, almost like playing with it as a craft and as a material. And yeah, a lot of it as like character studies of things outside of myself, maybe to like process the world externally to a certain degree and explore my own like fascinations with people from like different parts of life. And then at some point it shifted in probably to a certain degree just from observing my friends like Adrian Linker and Matt Davidson and people who write from just like the most kind of visceral, like honest place. It shifted to the point where to me, that's like all I know how to do now. And it just feels like writing from a naked and honest place. It's like a power plant. It's like an energy source. that's always there because your like heart is always turning and your own personal experience is, is always there. It's always happening. It's always something you can tap deeper into. And it's like a little orb of energy that you can pull from. You have this song in the album, Ham on White. Can you talk about that tune a little bit? Actually, that one was just a game. Like I was part of the songwriting game with my friends. We had to write a song every day. And with that game, it forced me to just write very quickly and kind of almost just speak. And so, yeah, I was basically just speaking this hilarious dynamic of like my partner hiding their food all the time because they would get really mad whenever I would eat their chips. And and it was, it was it was a healthy reminder that speaking your literal experience can be funny. And in some ways, it's like the most direct, laid back song on the whole album because I'm just talking. Yeah, I love it. And I feel like it really stands out and also fits so well at the same time. <laughs> There's another song in the album, the the first song, which is a, I love learning a new word that I didn't know before. Was that a word that you knew and had used? Because I love it and what it means. Maybe you could tell us. I was just playing that game with my friend where you lay in the grass and put meaning to form in the clouds and um, try to describe the clouds as shapes. And I asked myself, like, what is this game called? Like, what is that? word what's the what's the word for that instinct of like putting symbol to form and so i looked it up and i found the word paradelia which i loved it's so good i love that song so much you also reference i have to tell you this different color eyes and i have that Oh, really? Yeah. Damn. That's cool. I always yeah. wish I had that. Someone told me. What is that called, by summer. the way? Is there a name I for that? I don't know. If anyone knows, please tell us. 
Yeah. I feel like that. Someone told you. Yeah. Someone pointed out, people have pointed it out to me. It's not something that's like super noticeable that, that I would notice, Mm -hmm. but because I think my eyes are hazel or green or brown. Like I never really know what to say. And then last summer, someone was looking at me and I'd heard this before, but they were like talking. I was talking about something and they just, I could tell they weren't listening and they were just like, Oh my God. And then they like called in our other friend and they were like, look at this. And wow. they were just staring at my eyes. Hell yeah. Yeah. It was, That's it so was cool. cool. <laughs> well, um, I always wonder like if you have two different colored eyes, if you, if you see like a little differently through each other. I do have really different vision. I have contacts and glasses and my, my eyesight is really different on each eye. Oh, wow. My prescription is like, that's what makes it like more so much that I need glasses because it's just that it's different. Not that each one is that bad. Wow. I wonder if the color has something to do with that. Like the reflection of the waveforms of light are like affected by the color somehow reflected into the. Yeah. Yeah. I always wished I had two different colored eyes. I think that's so cool. It makes me. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it was cool to hear that in your. Album. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, I guess that's just an example of like one thing I love about songwriting of just kind of placing talismans in my songs that like I would like in my life, you know, because mm-hmm. I always wished I had two different colored eyes or like I just love I, every time I meet like a, like, a, like a husky with two different colored eyes or a person, I just I just find it to be really beautiful and like so. Yeah, I just kind of surrounded myself with that feeling in the album and created these these environments um, in the songs that come to life, I guess. And that's one of my favorite things about songwriting is how you can you can like create characters or um, yeah, you can you can paint these environments that somehow like come to life in yeah. yourself and also in the in, in the people that listen to them and like this parallel reality almost. Yeah, oh, I love that. I want to go back to to the beginning and talk about how you got into music in a way that I love so much, which is um, one of my favorite musicians, the children's musician, Rafi. Can oh, you talk yeah. about some of your early creative memories? And I know your mom and dad were really encouraging in music and how that influence and support shaped you. Yeah, my my mom and dad just put on a Raffi VHS when I was like two or something and put a broom in my hands. And I was obsessed with this Raffi concert VHS. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but it's the one where he has like the moccasins and he's in yes. this concert hall with a bunch of kids. Yeah. And yeah. He's just so it. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. And yeah, I would just watch that and sing along every single day. And he, he just like radiates that essential like thing in music of just connection and the source of like yeah just human connection and positivity and using music as a medium to bring people together which i think is really healthy yeah music. also your parents were were they both musicians themselves you no know, my mom was a child psychologist for a long time and my father is a glass sculptor oh cool so artists yeah. yes your mom taught you your first chords on the guitar so she also played yeah, she did. She she taught me my first chords, and she's a beautiful songwriter on her own time. Never performed or rec- recorded publicly, but um, has a beautiful voice and touch on the guitar. And um, she taught me my first chords, and 
they bought me like a little electric guitar and got me lessons at rock and robin guitars in houston when i was like six and so they were always super supportive of me learning to play the guitar i love that i i've been thinking so much about julia cameron talks about how having encouragement and support and creativity whatever it is from a young age like can be so influential and that's so cool that your parents encouraged you do they come see you on the road what do they think of your music now oh yeah they're still super supportive they're so stoked we actually just played in houston and they were there at the concert and yeah i think they're just really thrilled that i'm doing what i love most importantly i love that i think i heard you say you worked in a mexican restaurant and you would bring your guitar can you talk about that period in your life and what it taught you i guess i was in junior high early high school and i go super like into just pop punk and like no effects and stuff and uh and i had brought my guitar into work i was washing dishes at this mexican restaurant in Wimberley, texas and the bartender was this fellow brandon just who noticed my guitar and he like invited me to come play he had this like shack band his house with a bunch of amps and drum set and uh he's this blues player from memphis like a real old school blues player from from memphis tennessee and um, so I think maybe I was like 16, 15 or 16, he, he would just like started teaching me to play the blues and play rhythm. And I would go over there like, every day after work and basically just play rhythm for him while he shredded and like cut it up on the telly. He gave me my first gig at the Wimberley Tavern and taught me about the blues. Eventually you, you went to school for music and you've said that one of the best things that came out of Berkeley was the collaboration and the friction. Can you talk about that? My favorite thing about Berkeley was just like this incredible collection of kids from all over the world. I mean, the professor, there's some amazing professors there for sure. The most amazing thing was just having like thousands of kids from all over the world, from all different kinds of backgrounds who were probably like the most passionate about music in their small town from wherever they came from. And they were all there together. And there was a certain amount of facility for collaboration in school. Like there was ensembles and stuff, but like the real magic was happening kind of after hours, like at four in the morning in the practice rooms in the belly of the school, you know, like just kids kind of collaborating with each other outside of the curriculum. And I guess that's where I learned that like with collaboration, you create something so much bigger than the sum of its parts. And like whenever you put your heads together with another artist or musician, things just move, they, they unfold so quickly and you get like swept up in this river of perspective and sound and excitement. And you just certainly really like might not be able to summon on your own and really taught me like how much you can do when you put your heads together. Yeah. I tried to carry that forward for sure. What helps you in collaboration now? What makes for a good collaboration musically and in general? Finding a group of people who are willing to both listen. Cause I think listening is so important in collaboration, at least in, in music specifically, just like always listening and adapting to what's happening. But at the same time, like honoring yourself somehow, which is this really fine balance because it's hard to like fully embody your your truth in creativity and like in making music and really like be yourself, you know, and without without like the fear of being nerdy or like embarrassing yourself or like whatever, like with, without any kind of preconception or to be able to just completely open up, but also simultaneously really listen to what's happening in the room and and adapt like tune into that and try to like play or not play in order to like provide something to the whole and if you can find people with that that willingness at least to to like strive for that balance 
I think it's a good starting point. Yeah, like everyone gets to be themselves without compromising. And I think that can make the new thing that you create altogether so unique. And there's like a safety yeah. that has to happen in, in any relationship or any time anyone's connecting. So people feel, I think the only reason why we wouldn't be ourselves or be vulnerable is because there's a level of, even if it's subconscious, like not having the safety, not feeling worried in some way that you couldn't do that is the only reason why you would wear a mask or, or try to protect yourself, you know? So I guess it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before with managing the nervous system or like creating comfort for yourself in every environment. Yeah. And that's to a certain degree inevitable. Like it's inevitable that we will feel vulnerable in like opening up because there's just so much pressure from every direction, like in how we're programmed with, with music, for instance, like there's a lot of programming that we like need to be a certain way, one way or the, like whatever channel we choose, whatever like style of music we play or whatever instrument we play, there's a lot of programming and, you know, like as to like how we're supposed to play that instrument or what makes it good or bad or like what makes it cool or not or virtuosic or not like there's a lot of judgment from the outside even at berkeley for instance there's like a literally a rating system when you get there you have to audition and they like give you a numerical rating system based on these categories and like your freshman year like people will walk up to you they have to you like oh what's your rating what are you a seven? Oh, oh my god you know? and so there's like a which was something i had to i still have to like let go of and, and oh my reprogram. gosh yeah um, that's really intense <laughs> And like at the same, like you, to a certain degree, you can't blame the institution. I get, I mean, it, there, there's like a practical use of that for sure. Like it helps them compartmentalize the class, et cetera. And it's inevitable. But at the same time, like, I guess in regards to your question, like if you can find a group of people to collaborate with that can at least attempt to like transcend that to make a really safe space for each other and forgive each other and forgive themselves, like whenever they slip into that judgment that's a good starting point, mm. you know? And I feel like with Big Thief, for instance, and with my solo project, it's, it's, it's always a process. Like, and there's still like a use for critical, for criticism and for like constructive criticism with each other. It's not like we always just accept and support every single thing that every person plays in the band. Like on the contrary, we're super critical because like we also want it to be as, as realized as it can be, but like, so a lot of it comes down to like how you communicate your critical thoughts with yourself and with each other. But I think in spirit though, the general feeling of support. Yeah. I, I think you articulated that so well. I think it's the programming that gets into us, how that can stick with us. And I think we have to, my friend Sophia says this thing that I say to myself a lot of, you have to protect yourself from your own mind, you know? And I think it's, we have to protect each other from each other's egos and minds and and past traumas and rating systems and limiting beliefs and that's our responsibility but sometimes outside of our control and sometimes i can't protect myself from my own mind that day and i just get pummeled or there are times when i'm pretty good at it and if we can do that for ourselves and for each other i think it serves the creativity i think it makes us better friends and better people <laughs> yeah for sure i want to talk a little bit about instincts because you mentioned 
in the process of recording your album, the freshness of the two takes. And you seem to be someone who follows your instincts. And I'm curious if you've always been that way or how you do that so well, (laughs) if you have any advice, because I think there's probably a level of self-awareness that allows that. For me, it's more about like recognizing the things that I value, recognizing the processes that I value or the lifestyle that I value or whatever it is, whatever element of my life or my creative process or my relationships that I value. And then preparing myself to improvise or preparing myself to like rely on my instincts whenever the time calls for that, you know, through like preparation, nurturing the, the, the practice of something in regards to music, for instance. I've recognized over time that I value playing music with instinct in the recording studio, as I, as I said before. But I also recognize that that is empowered by preparing myself to be in that position through compartmentalizing all the elements that could support that instinct or that act. You know, so for instance, with my band, like preparing for that moment by just spending as much time as we can traveling together and crying and learning to be real friends for instance that's a big part of it just being honest with each other and having experiences outside of just playing music so we actually have real friendships and real relationships that run deep that the music can just kind of react to and then also on a musical level like spending as much time as we can just playing together outside of the studio and just like truly playing from a place of like childlike play and just goofing around and exploring sounds together and like talking about music and listening to music and going home and practicing on our own to like empower the things that came up through playing together and maybe working on like double stops country guitar because like something came up in a song at rehearsal and just really trying to like unfold all the elements of playing music together in preparation for then when we do go into the studio we can like let all of that thought go and just play on instinct so i think that there's a certain amount of like intention and careful like practice that can support improvisation or for instance like with surfing to prepare myself for like going out on a on a bigger day for instance where you know the waves are head high i'll like spend months going out on very small days and just working on one single element of surfing like i'll just work on my paddle stroke for a whole day or i'll go out and like just work on on like angling my takeoff and then you know or work the whole day on like just my back foot placement or work the whole day on just trying to like count the sets and and like embedding these things into my subconscious and into my muscle memory so then whenever the the waves are head high and it's like super crowded at the break i like can just move with instinct and and just trust that all of that like programming hopefully will like add up to some degree to support my my reactions and so yeah i think that there's always a balance and just like trying to recognize when is the appropriate time for one or the other that, and that, that takes a lot of, that, that can be hard sometimes to recognize, like, okay, it's time to like let go of perfectionism and let go of trying to like control the situation because the waves are way too big to try to like think about it. I need to just react or I'm in the studio. Like I don't have time to think about this. I need to just let go and play and trust that like everything I've done up to this point is enough. And I'll have more time to like obsess about my double stops or like my drop seven inversions tomorrow like when i'm back home like I, you know so learning to balance that mm, yeah present if you had to go back to maybe after school maybe when you're 
in New York and and just starting out and the seeds that that would be Big Thief and making music and starting to tour, talk to yourself then and just kind of give them like a, a rundown of like kind of looking at everything that's happened since of the tours that you've done and the people you've collaborated with and the places that you've played. And if you like had to give them a spoiler alert of like what it would be like and, and boil that down in a sentence of buckle up, this is what you're in for and it's going to be great and up and down. How would you, how would you describe that to them or, or what would you say to warn them for what's ahead? Nice one. Let me think for a second. I suppose I might tell them that it's going to be a super windy path and it's going to be unpredictable as hell and just encourage them to yeah, be present. And instead of like feeling like everything is riding on every song or every show or every recording or every moment, every reaction, like instead to just kind of observe each day and each show and each song as happening, like this, this show happened, whether it was like good or bad, to not get too much of a rise out of it one way or the other and just move forward. It's so easy to get swept up in feeling like there's a victory or feeling like there's a failure. And I think we just have like such a long way to go. There's, we have like a lifetime ahead of us of potential and like, it helps me to just tell myself that it happened. Like last night, for instance, we played a show in Atlanta and I, and I felt like super locked up in my body and like shy and felt like I was playing all the wrong notes and just et cetera. But, stepping off stage and being able to tell myself like that happened and it's now it's done and I'm going to move forward to the next one instead of getting caught up in what happened, just recognizing that it happened and I'll have another opportunity today. That helps me. Well, that's so good. My uncle said this thing to me once that it was kind of intense the way he said it, but I, I think you're saying something similar in a more gentle way. That's he was like fail fast and not that, not with, not that any of those things you said are failures, but just what our minds perceive as not yeah. what we would have preferred. The more, the quicker For we sure. can pivot. Yeah, and not just like with the perceived failures, but also with the perceived. For me, at least, like with the perceived uh, victories or yes. successes. Like because it's it's easy if if you get too caught up in those, then there's like a greater distance to fall. You know. Yeah. And the reality is like you just can't control it at all, and like right. You can never predict how it's going to, how anything is going to go really. And so if you just kind of try to remain in the center, then let yourself, yeah. it can just oscillate from there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not attaching too much to either. Yeah. Well, okay. This has been so great. It's been so fun to put pennies in your jukebox and get you to talk about oh. things that I've been excited to hear about. And I want to let you get to the mall and, and hang out, but do you have time <laughs> for, for sure. some rapid fire questions? Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Well, we'll do these are all just really quick so you can just like okay. say the the first thing that came to your mind. What's the best thing you've eaten in the last week or I know you started cooking in in quarantine so something that you liked making? Well, I've been on tour for the last week. So the best thing I ate was at this spot in Nashville called The Butcher and the Bee. It was just this like amazing meal of vegetables. This dish tasted like if there was an ice age in the 1600s or something and like you were at like the palace of some weird like Italian colony in like Morocco and the like grandmother matriarch made this 
vegetable dish. It, it was like a really deep thing I'd never experienced before. Mm. But you're in a beat. That sounds incredible. Greatest lesson on friendship. Surround yourself with people that you can just be yourself and they still adore you. Mm. Greatest lesson on creativity. These are pretty deep questions. I don't know how <laughs> rapid fire these are. <laughs> That's okay. That's a, don't don't worry. That that yeah. They are. They, now that I look at them, that turns out they are. <laughs> don't worry about that one. But okay. we, the show is called Let It Out. So, is there anything that you wish that I would have asked? Anything that you want to recommend that you've been reading or listening to or liking that that comes to mind? Anything that you never get to talk about that you wish that you would have gotten to talk about? Can I just? reiterate how cool the school of song is my friends my friend's website the school of song is so cool i think it's something really unique and fresh and they're about to add some teachers that are just really inspiring and i would encourage everyone to go take a songwriting class there it's like open to anybody and it's really really cheap and accessible love that yeah anything else I think that's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go get a sandwich. Okay, amazing. It's been so. Lo- it's been so great. We end letting out a deep breath together. Do you have a quick second to take a deep sure. breath with me? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Inhale. Let it out. I'm so sorry to keep you. I thought we had no until 10:30. Oh, it's 10:22 here, so that that feels kismet. <laughs> nice. Oh, thank you so much for asking such thoughtful questions and. Thanks for present. I really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day and good luck on the tour and have fun at the mall. And it was genuinely so, so great to get to talk to you. Thank you. Still the same face with a light or two. The same love I always knew. But I think I'm being followed It's been about an hour or so That was my conversation with Buck. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Obviously, he had to go and get ready for his show at the end. So I thought I had more time than than we did. But I loved that ending and... It was really cool getting to talk to him. And if you haven't listened to his album, Two Saviors, give it a listen. And of course, Big Thief, one of my favorites. And go see them if you get a chance. See Big Thief. I saw them recently, like I talked about, and it was great. It was so great to be seeing live music again and one of my favorite bands. And go see Buck. He's currently touring and the link to his website with all of the show dates is in the show notes. He's going all over. So he's probably coming to a city near you and you should go see him. Let me know how it is. I'm going to see him here in November in LA. If any of you want to join me, let me know. I would love to meet you there. Have a great week and I'm so grateful that you were here. If this is your first time and you want to find out more about me or my work or who I even am, that will be in the show notes, links to my writing and my book and I would love to interact with you more. I'm at Katie Dalebout on Instagram. 
send me a note there and let it out. This podcast has its own Instagram. It's let it out with three T's where we talk about a lot of the concepts and people and ideas and music that we talk about here on the show. So I would love to connect with you there and follow Buck. He's on Instagram as well. I hope that you are feeling good today, wherever you are, that you're listening to good music, that you're not feeling anxious, that you're having a good skin day and food day and you are managing your nervous system well and i love you and i'm really really happy and grateful that you found your way to this podcast and i hope i get to meet you or talk to you someday and if again if you're new explore the archive i've interviewed a handful of other musicians including andrew bird and my friend misty voice and yoke lore and emily kenny and and many more so I hope to talk to you soon and thank you again so, so much for listening and share this with a friend if you think they would like it too.